0: that's the best thing about our community and our audience is that we have the ability to go really, really deep. We talk about really deep, profound things, but then we also can be really light and we also can laugh and we also can make light of things. And I think I didn't know too, that there was a bunch of women or women and men and our listeners that all had that same capacity to feel really intensely, but also to feel joy in that same sense. So it's given me hope for humanity, honestly, truly. And it's really just struck me at how there are people and we all as a collective are so curious about who we really are. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 podcast. Here we
1: go. Welcome to the Almost 30
0: podcast. Welcome to Almost 30. You don't need to be 30 or almost 30 to be here. We're
1: just glad you're here. We're just chilling. We're just chilling. We're glad you're here. Um, I'm Lindsay Simsek and this is Krista Williams. Greetings. And we started this thing when we were going through our transition from our 20s to our 30s. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. It's kind of a shit show. And we had a lot of questions and we thought we were alone in the feelings that we were having. And so we wanted to make this conversation accessible to more people and hopefully connect with others who were going through the same thing. And it's just become so much more than that. Yana on tour got merch all the things yeah grateful you're here we're
0: Beyonce we're Beyonce had had no idea (laughs) oh my gosh so Justin and I if you guys are newer I have I'm engaged to (laughs) Justin I always feel like a douchebag saying I'm engaged or I have a fiance so I'm still working on that okay Cause it feels like you're looking for someone to ask you about it or be like, congratulations. Oh, you know what I mean? I if know you're like, what mean, but this is my fiance. Then it's like, what are you going to do? If you're like, I'm engaged. You're like, wow, congrats. <laughs> Let me say the, yeah, the like, lion. Oh my God. How do you do it? And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> but we went to, we haven't hung out in a long time since we've been on the go. So we went to a comedy show. Mm. We went to the laugh factory And it was so funny. We were outside. So it's in Hollywood. Hollywood is like kind of crazy. It's not necessarily, it's dirty. There's a lot of riffraff happening. A lot of different energies, a lot of different people. And Justin and I are outside in the line waiting to go into the show. It's like 7.30 or something like that. We're waiting in line. And we see this guy, he's kind of a little crazy, like kind of just doing his thing. You know, I'm not talking bad about him, but he definitely wasn't in his right element. He was probably living around the area, not really sure. And we're standing in line and he comes up super close to Justin. And He goes, what are you like, six, three? And Justin's like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm six, three. And we think this is normal because guys are obsessed with Justin. Wherever we go, they're like, are talking to him about his clothes, what he's wearing, his height. So I, we've actually had people come up to him and ask him his height a few times. And he's like, yeah, actually I am. He's like, oh, okay. And he turns around to the people behind us and he goes to the guy, he goes, what are you like five ten? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I actually am in five ten. <laughs> and then he goes to the girl. Uh, what are you like? Uh, five, seven. And yeah, she's like, oh yeah, already. yeah. I'm five, seven. He's like, all right. Okay. Okay. So I'm, so I'm eleven. So I think this is going in height order to get into the show. So I think you should go in front of me and then I'm behind you. And basically was like saying that the line for the comedy show was in height order and trying to rearrange everyone to be in height order. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Cause I was like, and and the girl was like, no, like it's, she was like taking it seriously. She's like, no, it's not in height order. Like, We're just in line. You know, you just have tickets to be in line. We're not in a specific order. He's like, no. He's like, you see them at the beginning, they're shorter and it's getting taller. I'm 5'11", he's 6'3". And he was like naming all the heights. He's like, you have to get in height order. And it was honestly the funniest thing I've ever seen. Hey girl, let him play. Let him play. (laughs) And he was literally looking at everyone dead fucking serious, like- and it's just like a funny ass concept to be like to go up to a stranger in line and be like, Hey, we're
1: actually in height order. So you you actually need to be behind me. I'm gonna do that the next time we're in line at like for Southwest. Yes. I'd be like, Hey, like number it's yep. not really about your flight number. It's yep. about your height. Yeah, it's, it's actually, about how much you weigh.
0: Yeah, it's about it's about your Instagram followers. So like you have to like get within. <laughs> oh, how sweet. It was hilarious. Wait, was he actually going to the show? Uh no. He was just on oh. the street. He was just on the street. Love him. So I think he was just trying to have a good time. That's fun. It was the best to go to people and be like, what are you six, three? Oh, I think we're, we're in height order. The he, fact that he's, he was right. He was right with everybody. He guessed six. He didn't, he didn't guess my height. I think I kind of threw him off. I feel, like I,
1: I feel like he should be on Ellen as like a correspondent. He
0: guessed every person's <laughs> right. I don't know why he didn't guess my height. I think I freaked him out. Cause I was like too engaged. <laughs> I was like, guess mine. <laughs> Oh my God. It was
1: fucking so who did, hilarious. Who did you see at the laugh factory?
0: Jeremy Piven, mm-hmm. who's in, who actually
1: not that funny from. Yeah, I've seen him live. I did think...
0: He's not my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the jokes, to be honest, I don't know anything about comedy. So, you know, if you guys have listened before, you know that I don't know anything about many things, but I felt like he didn't let his jokes breathe enough. There wasn't enough buildup or like, they were very short and to the point and they didn't really have a full picture or story to what he was saying. So you couldn't really get on board enough.
1: Interesting.
0: You know, I was like- I remember him being kind of like raunch. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was all raunchy. There was the funniest comedian ever. I need to find um, his name. He was, oh, Drew Lynch. And he has a stutter. And so he works with that within his comedy set and it's very apparent, but it just actually added to what he was saying. And he was the funniest comedian on the set. He was talking about how (laughs) with wine, he's like, I was at an olive garden the other day and they're like, what kind of wine do you want? And he said, a red. And they're like, okay, we'll bring our sommelier over. And he's like, no, no, the transaction's done. I just want red. Like, <laughs> he's like, I don't want I don't want to talk to anyone about the wines. Like, he's like, I don't know anything about wines. He's like, you could give me a vodka cranberry and I'd be like, oh, cool, a crunchy kind. Yeah, literally. Literally, he's like, I don't know anything about wine. Like, just bring it over. And he's like, the sommelier is like basically like an alcoholic as a career, like drinking wine wine all
1: the time. It's like a weird restaurant flex. And yes. I've like literally Somalia is like very rarely am Peace I love super imp- fans. impressed. Well, I mean, I love wine, but like, I don't know enough to like really enjoy what they. but I never feel like, Oh wow. I learned a lot. Yes. He's like, this is an olive garden. I don't want to know yeah, your truly, wine list. <laughs> truly. Was, Give me a breadstick. He was
0: he was Drew Lynch. You guys can look him up on YouTube and stuff. have he red hair or no? Uh no. Oh okay. Um he was probably else. my favorite of the night, but there was a bunch of of really good ones too. There was one other comedian that was talking about how um when you get married, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, I'm real faithful to my wife. You know, because that's the most important of all the vows that we make. He's like, no guys go up to other guys and they're like, "Man, I'm leaving my wife." They're like, "Why?" And he's like, cause she ain't cherishing me. <laughs> he's like, oh, you got to go. <laughs> Talking about like a wife not cherishing him. It was so funny. It was just a blast. It That's was so like two hours in and out. We laugh, we're done. It was 9.30 PM, got home at 10. Hell a yeah. A dream.
1: That's awesome. A dream. I love a comedy night. Me too. Yeah. LA it's also has- cheap. It's cheap. Cheap. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did they make you get drinks and stuff? Or yeah. No? Oh, God. Okay. We just got water. Cool. Yeah. Hey, we'll have a... A bottle? Did they make well, you pay Justin, for it? Yeah. They had to pay for yeah. the bottle. Justin got beer. Sweet. I you know? love it. That's so fun. I went to... Uh, oh, yeah. I went to... So my I was hanging out with my friend Thad, our friend Thad, who we met at on site. He's a musician in Nashville, super talented, and even more just a loving, sweet human being. And he's here for a little bit. And so we were catching up and we took like a bike ride in Venice. We went to get coffee. We're just hanging out. We like sat down and like sang a song or whatever. It was fun. And then he's like, how, like casually, he's like, do you want to go to church? And it's funny, like side note, since, you know, this person that I'm dating has come into my life, all of these, like, I'm kind of reconnecting with what I feel like I kind of was... I don't know, not robbed of, but I went to Catholic school. It was kind of like fucked up and weird. And so like, I'm revisiting this idea of like God and worship and all this stuff. I've, you know, been very spiritual and kind of refer to it more as source and spirit in the universe. But this just idea of God has been like really fun to kind of explore. And so anyway, he's like, you want to go to church? And I was like, sure. You know, when? He's like, like 2 p.m. today. And I was like, yeah, I can make that work. I'll like, you know, I had, I had a car wash that I had to cancel. <laughs> I was like, I'll cancel my car wash, whatever. And he's like, okay, cool. I was like, where, where is it? He's like, oh, at the forum. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean it's at the forum? You're like, is this evangelical? Literally. <laughs> and I kind of had an idea and he's like, do you want to go to Sunday service? Kanye's Sunday service. And I was like, Are you freaking kidding Is me? Is it always at the forum? No. Okay. This was the first time, I believe. Whoa. I I believe it was the first time that the public could go, like at least the LA, they've yeah. been touring around a bunch. He pays for everyone to like travel, all of the singers and and uh musicians. And I believe they were in like New Orleans. They've been traveling around. So this was happening at the forum. So I mean, immediately I was like, yes. And so we're so hyped on the way over. And and that is is like a man of God, like just so sweet. I learned so much learning from him and he's kind of had like an interesting relationship with the church because he had a, just his upbringing kind of like skewed it, but he's always been super, super faithful. And so we were just like getting hyped on the way there and we got there and we had like floor seats, like right on the floor and they had filled the floor of the forum with um, real flowers and trees so you walk in and Whoa. it's like, it's so beautiful. And up above this, the stage is in the center. It's like a circular stage. And up above it is like, it looks like a portal. You know, it's like this portal of light. So it, I think it was heaven, you know, kind of like their, their vision of heaven. And it would kind of like change colors. And it was just so beautiful. And they had like a pastor preaching beforehand. I think he had married Kim and and Kanye really dope. Like his energy was so, so beautiful. And then the lights went went out and that's kind of when we were walking to our seats, we couldn't see a thing. We finally got to a little place and it opened up with just this beautiful like eruption of voices of Jesus as King. And I mean, I literally, I went through just like you went through a lot of emotions the other day. I literally went through every emotion. I was just like, crying laughing jumping around oh like my God. it was it was so beautiful and you know I so okay so Kanye was there obviously the whole time and you didn't see him until maybe like three quarters of the way through like you couldn't he wasn't like on a pedestal somewhere or whatever like he was just like fucking enjoying and he was in church. Like it was, it was a church service, you know what I mean? So he was really receiving it. He did perform like a few songs, but never got up on quote unquote a stage. Like you really didn't see him, it's just his voice. And I just thought it was so interesting. You know, we've seen kind of his evolution as of the last few years and going from like Jesus to now Jesus is King. And there is just like this shift I don't know, like his ego dying in some way. Like I just felt like a different energy from him. And I don't know Kanye, but like just from a public eye standpoint, I was like, whoa, like this dude has shed a lot, you know? And like, we've talked about it on the pod before, just like how much truth Kanye has spit recently that has been really profound. But I don't know. I was just like, so, I, I was so happy. Like it didn't feel it didn't feel like pushed or forced. He doesn't have to do this. It's actually a risk for him to do this. And I just felt really like one grateful, but then two lucky that like this is happening right now, like using music because it is such a mainstream thing to create like an experience for people that they can receive like really intense love and light, you know, and you don't always feel that in like a like a concert venue. So it was also really cool to like feel that juxtaposition of like being in the forum where, you know, I'm sure there have been some like pretty heavy, weird, dark beats and then, but you're literally only like sprayed with love and light. And it was really, really cool. So, I mean, it was life-changing. I thought it was Whoa. so dope. I, th- I thought it was so, so dope. And the singers, I, I mean-, mean- Say no more, fam. It is soul shaking. Like you're and you, like, what the fuck is that? It is. It is coming from like yes, another uh, the deepest part of them, and they're so expressive, like with their bodies, Okay, and and that like that to me, I'm like that is fucking church, yes. you know, like. I just, I had this visual of like myself in Catholic church and just like standing there almost like a little pencil and then sitting down like within my little lane and then getting on my knees in the little lane and turning for the peace be with you, peace be with you. And never like just feeling the energy of, or the vastness of God and like just feeling so small. And in this setting, it was like, be fucking big, like just express yourself. It was awesome. And North was like playing around, being a little sweetheart, Come on. and she was like throwing something up in the air, like while the pastor was preaching, and she was like dancing around, and then Kanye like, like a dad would, and just like snuck up to her and was like, "Hey, baby, we gotta like sit down." <laughs> it was so cute. It was so cute. Oh my god, that warms my yeah. heart. So sweet. I don't think Kim was there because the I think the People's Choice Awards were that night, but right. Damn, it was so so grateful to Thad, but like it's really beautiful. And I, I pray that like this becomes more of a mainstream thing yeah. that is more accessible to people, you know, cause it's non-denominational. Yeah. Like with, they're talking about Jesus and the Bible, but I don't know. I feel like anyone could be there and, and get something from it. Yeah. There's something he is.
0: I mean, you guys know my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think he had a dark, a dark age where he was um, part of some, really dark energy and dark people within the arts and entertainment industry yep. and led him down a very dark path. And I think now he's working against that and he's now switched and he's now working for the light. Although he does say things that are very controversial, of course, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, we take it with a grain of salt, but
1: I, we love the, what he's doing with Sunday service. Truly. It was so beautiful. to do our own. <laughs> <laughs> I know, truly. I mean, I hope he comes to LA. Like, I oh hope God, it's like I a consistent- down consistent thing you know i was thinking
0: about with because of my engagement i was thinking when kanye proposed to kim at that baseball field oh my god with her name with will you marry me on the jumbotron and an orchestra playing his music oh it was like an empty Uh, stadium (laughs)
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. it's actually like yes. looking back on it yeah of course he that's rented the, the, the stadium thing i've ever heard but it's also like kind of weird and it's and bizarre. typical it to- it's just so like what believe, like what do, you, what do you what he
0: kim you a big baseball girl <laughs> you know what i mean like jumbo run? huh like in his own music like come on
1: yeah
0: Hilarious. and of course the cameras were there like was so fucking funny. I was like, wow, that's such a like five years ago proposal
1: mm-hmm. where it's like
0: had to be like this huge thing, you know, like, I don't know. It's just so funny, but I, I love their love. I think it's, I know. I think it's cool. Same. I love what she's doing too with the, she's doing so much for prison reform.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, that was a thing too. Actually at the the Laugh Factory, there was probably two or three jokes about how Kim doesn't do anything and makes oh. a lot of money. And it was just so outdated. You know, that kind of sentiment is just completely out of touch. Completely. You know, if you are staying current with everything that she's doing, she has like so many businesses. Like, of course, the way that she got into the industry is kind of interesting, but it's like, she has so many businesses and now she's doing so much with prison reform and law school. Like there's
1: just, it doesn't even, like when they say that, it's like, it doesn't even make sense. It's like, okay. And I love, I love to think about how like, kanye and kim must kind of collaborate behind the scenes like what was the conversation like when when she decided to do that you know like yeah. i'm sure like there was a conversation that was really beautiful that like inspired you know yeah inspired it and yeah. just i don't know they they I had like their... the conversation that was probably
0: staged but on the show and it, he was like really oh, supportive he was like you know you got to find places in your schedule of things that you can like delete from it mm-hmm. you know what else yeah. was crazy is this weekend uh this past weekend, Flogna was, Camp Flogna. It's Tyler, the creator's oh, yeah. festival. He creates this like big festival and a lot of people with an odd future are there and just a lot of hip hop and R&B artists are there. And because Frank Ocean used to be in Odd Future, people were expecting him to come out as a special guest. So they had the last performance. It's like the headliner and everyone thinks that Frank Ocean's coming out and Frank Ocean doesn't come out. Drake comes out. And everyone starts wow. booing him off the, Get the stage. Fuck out. I swear, everyone booed wow. him off the stage, and he left. Dude, what? What? Literally, literally. Tyler the Creator goes to his Twitter. He's like, "Yo, that was so trash." Like he's like, oh, "I brought fuck. the he's like I brought one of the biggest entertainers out in the world, and you guys are going to boo him because you had an expectation or wanted something to be a certain way." It was just crazy. I was like, "Oh my gosh." Poor Drake. I know, I, honestly, I was like, poor Aubrey. <laughs> honestly, like I mean, what? he doesn't need pity, but like, I did feel, it's it's just weird because it's like, I, I was wondering too about the sentiment to have surprise guests. Yeah, You know, like I, I kind of thought about that. I'm like, I don't, it, then people expect something or they think something. And dude, if you had, everyone knew Drake was there. I mean, the place would be like going crazy. Everyone knows every Drake song ever, you
1: know? So it's, it's like- So weird. Yeah, it's very weird. Is there like beef right now or something? Like, no. Does he have anything that people will be pissed about? Oh yeah, about? like any
0: issues? No, I don't think um. so. I think they, I think that the people that go to that aren't, are Drake fans, but not as much as they are Frank Ocean fans, yeah. you know? so Completely. I think that's what it is. There was also a dissect episode specific about Jesus is King. I know, it's good. It's really good. I found it really hard to listen to. Oh, really? Yeah, I found it impossible to listen to. It didn't Why? feel as thoroughly researched as a lot of his other
1: episodes. Oh, I haven't. Are. That's the only one I listened to, listened to. So maybe I listened to the of other Jesus ones. is King. No, the the dissect episode. I'm just getting into it since you recommended it. Oh, it's a podcast. I know, but I listened only to that episode, the Jesus, Jesus is King. So I can't compare it. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, Okay,
0: it's really hard to listen to. It's really unresearched, and I just didn't enjoy it. The other ones are way better. Okay, I'll listen to the yeah. other ones. It's um, like I I didn't. Get, they didn't have an opinion yet, and it was just kind of like, I
1: don't know. Oh, so and his normally- friend
0: is like cool, but his friend was actually really hard to listen to because of the way he talked, mm. you know. So it's not always those two, no, oh, okay. just normally him. All right, we're cool. talking about the dissect, dissect podcast. You can find, um. After you download every single one of ours and listen yeah. to every single one of ours, but only after that point. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, your Apple
1: Podcast won't let you do that.
0: Until I know you honestly. subscribe to ours. Honestly, today's a special, or let's do our just quick things yeah. today that we're focused on. If you skip, you get, you get three years of bad luck.
1: Yep. Truly. These are announcements. Yeah, kicked out of the crew. Um, the crew. So upcoming, we are going to be in LA for our LA live show December 7th at 7.30 PM at the Dynasty Typewriter at the Hayworth Theater in Hollywood. We're really, really pumped about that. We have Shan Boudram as our live guest. sex and intimacy
0: baby. We are gonna Mm. laugh. We are going to get some audience participation. Lindsay and I will be doing some stuff. We're hopeful for some special surprises. It's going to be a
1: fucking blast. Yeah, I cannot. This is like homecoming end of year vibes. Bring your friends bring all wait. your gals. Cannot wait. Or your dudes. Yeah. We've had a lot There's of gonna dudes. There's going to be a lot of dudes coming to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait. And then- We're going to uh, tell you how many people we've had sex with. Yep. Yep. That's the that's a surprise. <laughs> that's pretty much the whole show. <laughs> and put their picture up on the- Yes. Yeah. We're going to go through a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we will be in Miami on December 12th with Nikki Novo. Really excited about this. She has been even just recently, like just someone that we've we've gone to for readings, for intuitive readings that have already come to fruition and just really guided us in a beautiful way. And so many members of our community have connected with her and felt the same sentiment. So cannot wait to have her in Miami. Yeah. Tickets at almost30podcast.com slash tour.
0: And then actually, if you check out the shop right now for almost 30 podcasts or it's shop almost 30 or something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't work here, but it's in our show notes and we have tons of beautiful screensavers um, made by beautiful artists in our community. So you can get some amazing downloadable screensavers for your phone for free. Yeah.
1: They're really, really cool. We have them on our phone. So show, show us yours when we see you. Yes. That's it for announcements today on the podcast. We actually wanted to share with you an interview that we did on the Inspiring Lives podcast, which is a podcast created by one of our favorite brands, Athletic Greens.
0: Yeah. Athletic Greens is actually the, probably my uh, most underrated favorite, right? Like Mm -hmm. the most underrated, I think of my favorites. It's like, I didn't know how much of an impact athletic greens would have on my life and I do two a day and it's just helped my energy my skin it covers all the bases, especially when we travel I mean dude athletic greens is the best it's, this is not sponsored
1: yeah it's athletic a game greens changer. is honestly. The best and it's worth it. Truly the best. Um, so the Inspiring Lives podcast is hosted by Gary Um, and he interviews top health experts, nutritionists, entrepreneurs, athletes, and professionals who are pushing their personal boundaries and living truly inspired lives. So we were really honored to have a conversation with him. I just want to say, Gary's questions, thoughtfulness and research- yes. Blew me the frick away. It inspired me to research a lot Holy.
0: more. He's like, one time, two years ago, you said this. How do you feel about this now? I'm like, what? He has our
1: like our our birth certificates in his hand. Honestly. We're like, okay, what?
0: He's like, I asked your fourth grade teacher about your presence in class. I'm like, huh? Freaking loved him. So yeah, we had a,
1: a great time. We hope you like these. You know, we do a handful of interviews every quarter, and and we always like to share share them with you, and also introduce you to new podcasts that we love. So. Enjoy this one. We love you. Thank you for your support. We can't wait to see you on tour. On tour, baby. We'll always be on tour. Miami in the live show.
0: Cannot wait. That mm-hmm. is the rest of the year. And then early January, we will be announcing our 2020 tour. Bigger, better than ever. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
2: Krista and Lindsay, welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast. Thank you. Thank We're you. so
0: excited to be here. We're so honored. We are huge fans of... Athletic Greens, huge fan of you guys, so it's an honor and we are so glad that we got to connect today.
2: There would be a lot of people who would know Almost 30, and I'm sure there are some who are now about to discover Almost 30. How do you describe the brand?
1: Um, yeah, the the brand was born out of a time in our lives that was really confusing and chaotic. We were going from our 20s to our 30s, and you know we... We hoped to create a space and a conversation and a community that, you know, was real, that was honest, that was curious, uh, that was um, supportive and loving, uh, hilarious, <laughs> and just made people feel less alone. Yeah, and I think we we started, you know, having the
0: conversation about. From the transition from our twenties to our thirties, and now we just realize that we really speak to navigating all transitions in your life,
2: Krista. With, with with the idea you had at the start, was there a point where you, the two of you, actually came together and had a dream of a dream together of what you wanted to create?
0: I would say no, to be completely honest. I think we we had the drive to create and the drive to explore and the drive to do. And now it has turned into a dream that we create on the go. You know, I think for so I think it's really important to just to get lost in the work and to really do the work and to really create the need before you know the dream is there, but now we have the opportunity. Where we are now, three three years in, um, we're both working on this full time. We have a team, and now that we are at this place, we are afforded the luxury to create this dream as we're going. But when we first started, we were working full time jobs. You know, for the first two years that we were building it, so we were so busy doing the work of creating the podcast, editing guests. All of the things that we really didn't have the opportunity to get dreamy about it. And, you know, being women in this space, being. To girls that created a podcast and now have created it to expand outside of just being an audio show, there wasn't a template for us to look at as something we could aspire to. We didn't see many people doing podcasting full time. We didn't see many people going on tour with podcasts. It wasn't as big as it is now. And it was really much more so in its infancy three years ago. So we didn't really have the opportunity to look at someone and be like, oh, yeah, we want to do that. That looks like something that we could totally do. So we were just really being curious. Doing the work.
2: And it's funny, if I take you back to the early days, one of the things you said was that when you started the podcast, you, Christopher, the word you used was, I felt weak on my interviews. What did that mean? What was missing at that time? And how did you then course correct?
0: Yeah, I just nowadays I take the interviewing process so much more seriously than I did before. And the way that I was weak at the beginning was a sense of hurriedness with the conversation. So I would give a vocal... um message basically to my listener that, or to my person that I was interviewing that could have cut them short. So that's going, "Mm, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, mm, yeah, totally. Using those vocal fillers could be in my eyes is like, oh, I, I understand how you feel. I sympathize with you. I empathize with you. But it's also a way in which you really hurry the conversation. So I would do that quite a bit. I was just didn't feel completely comfortable in who I was. And I looked up to people like Tim Ferriss, Rich Roll, these really powerful interviewers that have a great sense of grounding and navigation of a conversation. And now I just take my language much more seriously. I take my vocabulary much more seriously. I take my listening much more seriously. And I really, really work at my craft because now this is my job. And it's really important that People just people are only hearing me. So they're not able to see if I'm smiling or know that I'm really friendly or I'm looking at them or I'm giving them eye contact. So all they hear is my voice, my tone, my intention in my speech. So it's so important that I, you know, continually listen to myself every week and try and get better at it.
2: If I could just continue that off ramp with you, Krista, it's interesting you mentioned the word confidence because I heard you say that the success of Almost 30 gave you confidence in yourself. Did you actually need that success of Almost 30 of the the podcast, the brand? I mean, had, had the brand not been successful, does that mean you may have lacked confidence in yourself today?
0: I love that question. And I think that I would have. I think I probably would have. I think when you have... When you're in my entire corporate career when I was in the working world and even when I was young, I was always seeking purpose and I was always seeking to have um, an impact with what I was saying or what I was doing. So I tried various outlets throughout, you know, my early career with blogging and, and things like that, but it never really worked. So to be at this position now where I can look back at my career in the corporate world where I was doing events, which we do now, where I was working on my like sales and partnership skills, which I do now. So there's various parts of my career that I can now look back at and look and understand why they make sense. And that gives me confidence in myself that although I was lost, my soul and I knew what I was doing. It didn't make sense at the time, but I knew what I was doing. And with the podcast, it does give me confidence because I'm quite often working in my zone of genius. And my zone of genius is strategy my zone of genius is curiosity my zone of genius is asking great questions so i do on a daily basis things that i'm really really good at and there are lots of parts of the business that i you know step into that i'm not as good at but i really try and focus on things that i'm good at and i definitely think that almost 30 has given me a huge amount of confidence it's you know to have your a dream that you didn't know realized is one of the most powerful things
2: Lindsay, the success of Almost 30, you said, gave you a purpose. How do you define that purpose today? And with all the people you're interacting in terms of your audience across the world, what, what is your purpose and how important do you think it is for us to know what that purpose is?
1: You know, if I think about it, I don't think I've always been connected to that Definition of or need for a purpose. You know, if I think about myself in even in my early twenties, late teens, I I was never asked that question. I was never presented that option to like actually um, find a purpose. I I felt as though the gifts I were I was given I should use and I should use to become successful. Period. The end. And that you know, impacting people's lives wasn't really one of my first thoughts, to be completely honest. I I hoped that whatever I created um, in terms of my art would be loved and people would be inspired by it, but I didn't think about, you know, a purpose beyond that. And then when Almost 30 came into existence and the idea came through us, um, I really understood fully, like in my body and my heart and my soul, like what purpose was and and purpose for me feels so much outside of myself. You know, it is a getting out of the way. It is a um, an allowance of an idea of love of a vision uh, to come through you and to trust you know, yourself during that process, you know, to trust that because this idea has has found us that we have a responsibility to it and the community that's forming around it. And that emphasis taken off of me and onto a group of Women in this case who are curious and wanting to learn more about themselves and other people and the world around them and how to just navigate it in a way that feels true to them. Um, I mean, yeah, that is that is something new to me and something so beautiful and a layer of what we do that I just can't imagine living without. Now, you know, uh, I forget the second part of that question, but that first part of that question did make me think because I really didn't begin life thinking about what my purpose was.
2: No, it's really interesting, Lindsay, for you, because if you think back, you your previous career, life, work, was at Soul Cycle. and you were doing a lot of classes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's how you guys <laughs> met, is mm-hmm. Krista wanting to get into SoulCycle and you being in the game. Yeah. And so you're leading classes, you are obviously doing well because you're doing a lot of classes. And... When you think back to that period, you were doing, but probably not being. We interviewed Preetha G, who is seen to be kind of one of the modern day female philosophers uh, who runs O&O Academy in India with her husband, Krishna G. And she said, Gary, the the, the problem today is we're too busy doing, we're not being. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering with what you just said, is that a... Soul cycle versus almost 30, where you were doing, you were busy and you were doing stuff, but you perhaps at that point, there wasn't a true purpose within yourself of what it was all about. Whereas now you are more being in amongst it and the doing is helping you be. Is that a bit deep or is that fair?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely fair. Um, And it's something that I think Krista and I, I'll speak for myself, like, have been really interested in lately because this this beautiful thing that is almost 30 is not slowing down anytime soon. It, it's expanding at a rapid rate and um, we really want to be able to be more often so that we can um, take in everything that's, that's happening and really bear witness to uh, how others receive us, and how we receive ourselves, and how this beautiful idea is just taking shape. Um, you know, it's it's easy to go fast. It's distracting to go fast to do a lot of things to always be in the doing of it. So I think it's been a really uh, rewarding practice to say, "Hey, this thing is alive and breathing and well, and it won't die if we take a moment." And by a moment, I mean more than just a single moment, but to just be with it, you know? And I think there's so much value in that, especially for our generation that I just feel like we're going so, so fast to get there, to get there, to get there. And I don't know if, I don't know where there is to be completely honest. So the doing is is funny because it's like, where are we going? You know, I guess it's to the next goal, but then there's another goal and then there's another goal. So what is what is it actually you know, propelling you towards and is that really the point, you know, is the being allowing for more happiness and joy in the moment? Like if people say, well, I just want to be happy, like that's why I'm doing it. It's like, well, maybe being can get us there a bit sooner.
2: It's interesting on that, Lindsay, because you said that in the early days for you guys, you were both trying too hard <laughs> and you had to- Are you
0: reading my biography? Yeah, I- <laughs> Are you reading my mind? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're still trying too hard, to be honest. I don't think we're out of that.
2: Well, I don't know. It's it's, it's a very interesting conversation because uh and that's why I think the soul cycle versus almost 30 Trying too hard, appreciating it. I think there are a lot of people who are in that boat who are either in one side of the boat or straddling the middle and not really sure what's right. How, how were you trying too hard? How do you reconcile that? And where are you today with that? I think um, as it relates
1: to my earlier life pursuits, you know, in acting, singing, dancing, being on Broadway, being a TV star, all of that, like I, I always felt. Like, I know I had talent. I knew I had work ethic. I knew I had discipline. But I just, I felt like there was a hole. I'm like, what is not matching up? And I just, I didn't, I could not reconcile, like my soul could not reconcile with the fact that I had to sell myself to someone in order for them to make a decision to give me a job. (laughs) Which I know is how the world works. But I just, I didn't understand because it kind of like, it just suffocated my creativity, you know? And that's like something I probably have to work on anyway, but it's more so like, why were they the judge? Why was this single person or this this panel of people, the judge of what I wanted to do and create and be? And so that felt like trying too hard. That felt like pushing, that felt like forcing, that felt just not like myself. And so- you know, I, I along the way I did a lot of things that were probably trying too hard and way too much. You know, whether it had to do with how I how I projected my image online or to my friends or whatever. So yeah, I, I think there's always a part of you that's probably trying too hard. Yeah, I think <laughs> it, that's where I saw it. It
0: completely relates to the not enough being, too much doing. And I think when I think about us trying too hard, there have been periods, and there still are periods where we are, are not being enough. You know, we're not easing into it, like accepting more love, and you know, be discouraging of fear, or I guess moving, moving more so away from fear. But to me, the trying too hard was always just doing too much rather than allowing things to happen.
2: Question for you on identity. And there are podcasters now who've built their identity around their show. And I think it's fair to say that everything they do is built on the persona of being on that show. And then you guys have taken that and now you're doing stuff live and getting sellout crowds in, in different parts of the world, which is super impressive. But when you walk on the stage, then people, you're, you're there as almost 30 and you're there as the stars of the show, do you, do you have trouble turning off that identity? Do you have trouble eventually when you're actually not together and you are in your alone time? Do you have trouble connecting to who you are as a person and not as the identity behind Almost 30? This is for either of you.
0: I feel like sometimes I have a hard time stepping into the identity of almost 30. Like people perceive me as something whenever they're listening as being X, Y, and Z. And sometimes I feel like I'm resistant to that and I don't want to be that. And I, so sometimes I feel like I have a problem living up to whatever they're expecting of me. And this happened, you know, this is happening to me this week where we just came off of a long leg of tour. We have a bunch of interviews this week and I feel. I feel like I can't live up to the identity of Krista almost 30 this week because I'm exhausted and I just have some things going on that make it hard for me to live up to that identity. But I would say that there is a lot of me that has my identity within almost 30. And I think it lives more so in the business part of it where I... I'm really enjoying um, creating. I'm really enjoying the creating and the strategy behind everything that we're doing, and I really do identify with the parts of me that really thrive in you know this environment that we've created for our team. And I wonder, you know, with identity and identifying yourself with something, it is a delicate balance because, as with anything, change is inevitable. Change always happens. Things come and things go. So you have to be careful in that way. But. In the entire process of creating Almost 30, I think we have evolved into the, these representatives of what Almost 30 is. But I do think we are thoughtful about not completely identifying with it because then that is an opportunity for you to get, you know, criticized and take it personally and really put yourself in a really vulnerable position where you are at the mercy of, you know, your audience.
1: And I agree. And I just to speak to like the identity of Kristen Lindsay Almost 30, what's really cool about what we've been able to create is that we've been ourselves all along, you know? So yes, we're always changing and we have good days and bad days and days where we feel more quote unquote on than others. But you know, the the dismantling of who that is and coming home and sitting on the couch and being who I really am isn't really a thing because we're able to show up to our live shows and meet our listeners and feel like we're just meeting our friends and be ourselves, you know, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. And I just, I've never had that in my life. You know, I've always had to kind of uh, read someone else's script and audition for a role that's not me, but play another part. So it's really refreshing that we're able to do that. And what's cool is that, you know, people who listen and hear that they they feel or see themselves in us in that way where they're like, ah, oh, I just want to be myself wherever I go, you know? So we try to be as transparent as possible where we are, like meeting ourselves where we are every day.
2: Just on that, Lindsay, if I could ask you a question, um, you you do share a lot on your show and you share a lot in interviews like this about yourselves and you are very transparent. And one thing I've, I'm just curious about is you said there was a time in your life where you had a boyfriend and you played up on him. And then you and being a guy, right? So savage. And, and then you did it again. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And what I'm really curious about that you said in your mind, in your mind you said you'd always believe you didn't want to hurt people, but then you Mm. did it. You did it a couple of times. Now, what I'm curious about, uh, particularly as a guy, but what I'm curious about is that (laughs) the dialogue in your mind, as you said on this interview, was I believed I never wanted to hurt people. But you did it not just once. You then did it again. (laughs) And although you believed your dialogue was, I don't want to hurt people, you would have hurt this guy a lot, whoever that was. Yeah. Today, with those experiences, (laughs) does that help you make judgment calls, not just for relationships or with Krista, but also does it help... Is there something that sits inside you of wanting to be honest and transparent and doing the right thing for the people who love almost 30? Is there some, does it give you a moral compass in some way?
1: Yes. Um, I love that question, actually, and I've never been asked that in that way. It was a, you know, I I think about that time a lot. And not only because it, it's something that I would do differently, because I definitely would. I don't tend to live with regrets, but that is something that I do regret doing. Should we give context for people? Yeah, so for people listening, if you don't know, and I'm, you know, this isn't a special case where like I'm sure people have done this and been on the other side of, on the other side of this mainly, you know, um, I was in a five-year relationship and I thought I was going to marry him. I thought we were going to have kids, spend the rest of our lives together. And then, you know, we so we graduated from college. He was two years ahead of me. Anyway, we were living in separate places and I was bartending at three different bars. My life was just very different. He was in business school and uh, temptation uh, took a hold in a way because I was not getting what I needed from the relationship. And instead of talking about it with him and expressing how I was feeling, I decided to go and get it elsewhere. And so I cheated on him, not just once, but it was like an affair. Um, and so he found out, and it was it was really hard because he took me back, and uh, it happened again. And, you know, I lost mainly respect for myself, which inevitably just you're unable to respect most people in, in that state. So what I really learned during that time, too was, you know what it feels like to live out of alignment and in alignment and that doesn't mean like to be a cheater and not a cheater it it means i was there were areas of my life across the board that i was not living in alignment i was drinking my face off i was eating like shit I was in friendships that did not serve me. I was really, really mean to myself, and like just judging, judging my body and my choices and what I was doing with my life. Um, and so, no wonder that like all of that that I was doing to myself, I would hurt someone else, hurt people, hurt people. You know, and that's not an excuse. That's just an observation. And so now, it's one. I'm allergic to lying now, which is really cool. It's like a great superpower to have because like I want to vomit anytime I, (laughs) like if I want to tell a lie, it's like that feeling of just like, oh, I'd never ever fucking want to do that again. Sorry, I hope I can curse on your show. Um, And so, yeah, it's, and now I just, now I do feel like I have a moral compass. I do think about him a lot. I do think about like that, that decision and how it affected him, you know? And he's fine now, they're married, he's happy and all the things. But like, I do think about how that could have could have affected him for a long time. And so I really do think about that in my everyday interactions. I want people to feel seen and loved and heard. I want to communicate how I'm feeling, despite the fact that it might make someone sad or disappointed. Like that to me is a value to be able to express myself clearly and honestly, because in the end that's serving both of us. You know, so yeah, I mean- It definitely changed the way I feel about people, about myself, and definitely sharpened my moral compass.
2: There would be so many people listening who would relate to a story like that of their their past, Lindsay. I think that saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people, is such a profound piece that comes from the story. And I, I it's it takes a lot of courage to share stuff like that and be open about it. But Krista, if I talk about the history of the show and you guys sharing and openly sharing on the show and I guess to live audiences. You said in the early days you overshared. So I'm just curious, where's, where's the sweet spot for you guys? Because I I know there are people who are doing what you do on shows and they share stuff like that for reaction. They share stuff to try and be authentic, but it's actually to get listeners or to be talked about it's not it's not like your story just then lindsay where that was a truly authentic story that had a lot of gold within it where is that sweet spot do you think that you've learned of what or how to share or not overshare
0: i think we've definitely learned by doing but it's always been something that within my life i'm not i don't share too much people even very close to me, don't know a lot about me. I'm always more curious about others than I am myself. So for me to even share on the podcast has been something completely new and, um, You know, because it's it's one of those things where we've learned recently. We went to this uh, retreat where it was very therapeutic, and I actually never felt like I had the right to share because I didn't think my story was interesting. I didn't think my my story was valid. So I spent most of my life really um, trying to deflect and ask people questions and learn more about them, which is you know one of the most beautiful parts of my life. But it's been with the podcast that I have really given myself permission to share more about my story, my journey all of that. And it's been really beautiful. But you can see it happening where people in podcasting or on Instagram are having a moment of oversharing. And that just feels like the biggest soul, like the most disrespect you could do to your soul ever. To have this experience and then share it vulnerably with strangers and expect them to be safe for you expect them to care expect them to feed your your soul in a response that you think you deserve it just feels like the most disrespectful thing that you could do on a soul level but there was a period in time you know with in my life my my mom my parents are divorced my mom got remarried we have a very challenging relationship that I divulge and talk a lot about on the show and she started to listen, you know. So in that instance, in case I was sharing something very vulnerable and open that I would share with only my closest friends, which that's what it feels like when we're recording. And I remembered that we're on a live platform where hundreds of thousands of people hear every week. So I got had a conversation with my mom. I was put in a place where she heard, she had her feelings hurt, etc. So. You know, as I'm learning to share and divulge, I'm also learning that people are listening and that people have their own perspectives and opinions, so I need to be very careful if I'm going to be sharing something very openly that people are listening to. But that's all part of the process and that's really, you know, my cross to bear as doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm learning in real time with people and I um, you know, will never be in a place where I feel completely perfect about everything that I'm saying and doing.
2: Just on that, on the parents part of it, do you recall how perhaps you were programmed from growing up by your parents? You were programmed into a particular belief, way of doing things that you've had to renegotiate in your own mind today?
0: Yeah, I think that's you know a lot of the work that Lindsay and I have been doing right now is really understanding that and reprogramming it, and for me that is a lot to um, my worthiness. To- of, of speaking, of being heard. And really, I spent most of my childhood uh, with a parent that was had a lot of mental health issues. So there was a codependency in the way that I would always make sure that they were okay. I'd always try and adjust my personality, whether it was trying and be funny, try and be interesting, try and be um, really, really nice to fit and make sure that I was seen and I was loved. So I'm really working on that within my life. And then there's another one that is related to um, my career. And that was really um, working with the programming that I had, being from a small town in Ohio, that you have to slave away at a job that you hate to make any money. And you know, I was in the corporate world for eight years. I worked at various jobs really unhappily. And I really had to work on believing that I could make money in an aligned way, doing what I love. And right now I'm, I'm living in that proof that, we work with brands and people that we truly love and truly value. And we're able to make our living and support ourselves and our team um, in a way that feels really, really good. And I really didn't know that was possible. And I didn't believe that was possible until we were experiencing it and seeing it. So those are two examples of of some things that I'm currently really, really working on.
2: Lindsay, do you have the same sorts of programs that you're having to renegotiate today for you?
1: Yeah, Um some similar, some overlap, and um, a few that are, that are different. I think the first that comes to mind is uh, when I, I'm the oldest of four kids, my parents are still together, although you know I, I don't look at their relationship and say to myself, "Wow." that is a relationship i want to model after. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Um, but here's the thing, like, you know, what i've what i've come to understand, i love my parents so much. Mm-hmm. What i've come to understand is like they are here to learn exactly what they're supposed to learn in relationship and life between them and other people, them and themselves. And it's really none of my business. It's really not mine to fix, to save, all the things. And so that's really helped me to understand my role in it all. However, I grew up feeling like I was to protect my siblings from any hurt or pain. I was to um, save my parents' relationship and make it better. And I was always the middleman. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have felt this way and so i was always trying to just make things better and and manage emotions and manage people's experiences within the circumstances so that's translated into me really feeling the need in my everyday to manage people's experiences for example like you know if if it's my birthday and i think about having a birthday get together i kind of get stressed out cuz i'm like thinking about managing 20 people's experiences within like just a, a casual gathering actually makes me really stressed. And, and it's like an irrational fear because I know they're all there and they love me, but it's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing. And, and same with like romantic relationships, you know, not holding back and not waiting to express myself or be seen because I'm waiting for someone to give me the permission to do that because they're feeling ready so, you know, I I've, I've been told I've I'm too much, I'm too this, I'm too that within relationships, too nice, too giving, too whatever, which sounds great, but a lot of people cannot receive it. Like it's and 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 to be frank, like my giving and my uh too niceness was kind of like not me at times. Yeah. Like it was me trying to impress them and make them believe that I was good for them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was doing a disservice to myself to it just it wasn't just them not accepting me because I'm so nice and giving it was me also not being myself. So all that to say yeah, I'm really working on my my own experience, you know, and what that really feels like and and if I need to make changes or shifts that I have the ability and confidence to do that you know so it's a practice every day but being in this in this business and creating this life it's just i feel like i'm afforded opportunities every day to practice that with people that love me and support me and and create a safe space for that
2: it sounds like lindsay you've done and continue to do a lot of thinking on your own inner world and one of the things you made a comment about was your inner mantra is, I know. Now, I don't know if that still is the same case, but it's something you said on a show. And I'm curious, is that still your inner mantra? And if it is, what do you know that you don't know that you'd like to know about?
1: Yeah, it's one of my mantras, for sure. It's one of my mantras because I feel like I've spent a lot of time looking outside of myself for the answers reading books, asking people their opinion, what I should do in this situation or with my life, or waiting for people to give me the permission or to say yes and all the things. So I I always want to come to myself first and check in there and see if it just on a soul level feels good. If on a soul level, it, it's a green light and I can move forward. So I just I always and and it's funny because Krista mentioned a, re, a, a retreat that we went on recently that was intensely therapeutic. It was a group therapy for five days, basically, and we did this exercise in my small group therapy where um, you know someone was up for you know a session, and the facilitator responded when this person said, "You know, I just don't know." I don't know how I feel. I don't know the answer. And so he said, put your hand over your heart. Ask yourself the question again. She's like, I still don't know. He's like, okay, take one step back. Ask yourself the question again. And he said, after two steps you always know. And you know, there was a a theme kind of for the whole week that was like you always know, you never don't know. And it was just so it's empowering to think about that. We always know, and I'm not talking about like, I know what a parabola is right now, but like, it's like we just always have that intuitive feeling that we should follow first. And yeah, there are a ton of things I don't know. There are a ton of things I don't know, but what's really cool is that I don't lie to myself now. Like I don't lie to myself and tell myself, I know I can handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm I always know too when I when I don't know things and that where I want to dive in and know more and where I don't. So um I don't know if that answered your question, but
2: No, it's good. It's um it does. I think it's a I think it's a lesson, you know, and and, the, and we do hear that. The easy the easy way out is I don't know. Mm. And I think you've just given us a process, a nice process for for digging in, particularly when we are. If we are fortunate enough to have children or working with somebody else who's going through a hard time, it's nice to have tools that we can utilize for ourselves or utilize with others to be of service. Christy, if I can throw it across to you just based on that, the live events you're doing are fantastic. Take a, a podcast and turn it into live events in the coolest places in the world and it's working for you, which I think is terrific. You, you are on stage together you're spending time with an audience. From those live events, What what's the kind of the most, the biggest commonality you're hearing from your audience that you didn't expect to hear is in terms of their lives, the, their struggles, what they're facing, where they're at in life? What's the biggest commonality you didn't expect that you are hearing or seeing or feeling from your live audience?
0: I didn't really expect for our audience... Um... And I think this is based on my assumptions growing up in the Midwest, that there would be such a spiritual curiosity that they have and a deep desire for knowing who they are. And I think that I wondered that myself, but I guess I in my entire life, but I guess I felt like I was alone and I didn't see people around me that were um, curious about who the soul was within the body. And with the women that we meet, it is so deeply powerful that they're on this quest, you know, this extremely profound quest that is maybe the most important quest in your life to really figure out who they are you know what I mean? And we'll see the turning in, we'll see the questioning, we'll see the the innate curiosity, and we'll also see the really light, the fun, the humor. You know, I think that's the best thing about our community and our audience is that we have the ability to go really, really deep. We talk about really deep, profound things, but then we also can be really light, and we also can laugh, and we also can make light of things. And I think I didn't know too that there was a bunch of women or women and men in our listeners that all had that same capacity to feel really intensely, but also to feel joy in that same sense. So it's given me hope for humanity, honestly, truly. And it's really just struck me at how there are people and we all as a collective are so curious about who we really are.
2: It'd be fair to say there'd be people going, well, it's easy for you. You've got hundreds of thousands of downloads every month, you're both beautiful, you're fit, great backstories, you travel the world and people adore you. Yeah, it's different. It's different for me. You don't understand. And there are also people who would go, yeah, it's all fine. And I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. Or if I tried that, I would get found out because I couldn't do that for whatever reason. How do you each ap- approach your own imposter syndrome? Because we everybody has it. It's just how you go about dealing with it. I'd be curious the journey you've taken us on during this show, and now you are on air, you are live. There's gotta be moments where the darkness closes in and you start to question or you start to doubt yourself. How do you guys deal with that?
1: Yeah, I I would just say too, like you're right. Everyone deals with the imposter syndrome. So I you know, I I do know that there are people out there that think, oh wow, they they don't have to deal with the things that I deal with. But I will tell you, I feel it at least once every day <laughs> in some form or another, and it really now I'm like, ooh, this makes me feel alive. All right, that's a point that I need to kind of work on. But I, you said it, where it really helps me to put things into perspective when I learn about other people's. Process and how and how they've gotten to where they are because the most successful quote unquote people in the world deal with imposter syndrome, deal with insecurities, and have dealt with them throughout the entire life of what they've built. Um, and so, to know that really gives me confidence in my flaws. You know, I sometimes I think my flaws are. Uh, a disadvantage and I fall into a deep hole of comparison. But I, I really am empowered when I hear other people's stories. And the last thing I'll say about it is that we don't really have, I think Krista mentioned this earlier, we're not really following in the footsteps of anyone necessarily. We really do think of something and then do it and Just figure it out along the way. And so um, it doesn't leave too much room for like, oh wow, like I'm not like so-and-so. So how could I even do this? It really does give us a creative freedom, a sense of just, I don't know. Like it's wild, like to be out there just we're like, hey, should we go on tour? Yeah, we should go on tour. Okay, let's do it. And then plan it. And not really think too much about it. It's it's so that those moments give the next moment and idea more confidence and foundation. And it just kind of builds on itself. That doesn't mean we haven't made mistakes along the way and don't have like moments of feeling like, "Oh God, like am I worthy of this?" for sure. But thankfully, we have each other. and thankfully, we are on a platform that allows us to share those moments. yeah, and I
0: think too, you know, when I hear, if someone says, you know, it's easy for them, or on the other hand, if someone says, I'm not worthy of something like that, those are both essentially two sides of the same coin because they're both worthiness things. If someone is saying, you know, it's easy for them, then they in their mind haven't really completely understood. That they're, they too are worthy of those things. And it's easy to deflect on someone else and use them as your excuse to not pursue whatever dream it is that you have because, you know, we're all living in such different realities. And if we are just saying, you know, oh, I'm not worthy of that, then that seems like a lot of self work that needs to be done. And I continue to do that on a daily basis and I work on that. And then, you know, the easy for someone else to say in that situation, it's kind of like, If you lived your whole entire life like that, it's always gonna be someone else. It's always gonna be someone that has it easier um, than you. And you can always find that and and you will have the opportunity to find that. But within our business, we've done something that we have done well, not on purpose, but is we've taken really small steps. So our first event was a free event at our friend's backyard for 30 people. And we sat like on yoga mats outside. And then we did a free ride at Soul Cycle where it was literally free for people to come. So there's no barrier to entry. And we just continued to grow. And it's not like we are living this life that is amazing and awesome, but it's not as glamorous as I think people think. We're in the work every single day. We have a team that we're excited to support and to work with. And we're learning new skills about management and all these different things that we never thought that we were doing. But We've taken every small step to grow at a pace that we could handle and we could manage. And I think we never really saw, you know, like something as an easy out.
2: Just on that, I've got a question for Lindsay. This goes back to something you mentioned at the start of the interview that I wrote down. You said that when you were acting, Broadway, television, modeling, that there was always the judge. You're always being judged by somebody. Do you feel mm. that judge today? And if you do, how do you deal with today's judge based on the show and live live performances and the socials, everything else? Do you still feel the judge at all?
1: It's interesting because being, you know, I still I still write and act and sing. It's just kind of in a different. Context and being out of that everyday auditions and every day being quote unquote judged has given me perspective on exactly how that industry works. You know, it's it's not that I'm not uh, worthy of the role. Um, it's more so that I'm just not right for it, and I would have never gotten it anyway. And it comes down to very very particular details. Of course, you have to have talent. Of of course, you have to nail the audition. But there's also like, are you tall enough, short enough? Do you um, know the casting director? There's just so many factors. And I, and so anytime that I feel like I am being judged or uh, feeling the need to be picked, you know, as the right one, I, I just now have a really deep understanding of how it all works and a deep faith in the fact that like if i'm right for it if we're right for it it's going to work out you know and 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 i've been shown that time and time again in the life of almost 30 that you know we've been given the right opportunities and we've we've sought out the right opportunities for us and so you know, we're not going to be for everyone. I'm not going to be for everyone. And and that's like, for me, been a really healthy realization.
2: I think a lot of this, this whole imposter syndrome and the judgment, I think fits really well together to close this thing out. There was something you said at the very head of the show. The two words you use were, you're out to create a conversation with your community. And before I ask you where the hub is and where people should go to find out more about you, Facebook is, you've got this group on Facebook and it's very, very strong, very big. Being of the generation that's grown up with the digital world, does it, does it, does there a concern in the back of your mind that with things like Facebook, that people are sharing and talking to you, but it's kind of not yours?
0: Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, Something that just thinking, I'm sorry to, yeah, to jump in, but I think about that a lot with with having our Facebook group. So for people that are listening, we have a Facebook group for the podcast that's private and um, there are deep, intense mm-hmm. conversations that our community has on a daily basis. And then we also have 70 or so subgroups in people's cities all over the world so that women and men um, that are fans of almost 30 and support the mission can connect where they are. And I do think about that a lot. And I think if we could go back, I would hope that or we could create a a platform where that information and data could live because it does kind of scare me and bother me that all of that data and information is owned technically by Facebook. So when I think about people starting podcasts now, you know, if you're going to have a Facebook group or or not, it's a great place since a lot of people are on it. But I kind of
1: am rethinking it now because we do not own any of that information. It is a... A responsibility, you know. It's it's and it can be overwhelming at times. Granted, the group is is ninety nine point nine percent so positive and supportive and loving, and people have said it's like the reason why they keep Facebook around for them. Uh, but I, you know, we've we've just thought about it a lot. Where it is a responsibility to create a space for that and and monitor that, you know, because people are bringing their own experiences, their own. Wounds with them to the table when they're having these conversations, and so it's for me it is that practice in like in you know trying to control people's experiences um it's it's just an interesting thing i don't I don't have like a yes, I want it forever no i don't and or yes, this is my responsibility or not it's just like it is uh, it can be a free for all. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that we're always promoting positivity and love and support, not coming from a place of fear or anything like that.
2: And where, where would you send people, Lindsay or Krista, to, to find out more, join in this conversation, join your community? Where, where is the best place for people to go to find out more about you?
1: Yeah. So we have a few touch points that we're super active on. Um, So Instagram at almost30podcast, almost30podcast. We are super active on there. And then if you search on Facebook, secret almost30podcast group, you'll find our private Facebook group. Um, And then there are subgroups, a part of that too. So if there's a subgroup near you where you live, you can join that as well. They meet up in person, and then almost30podcast.com has you know all the things almost30 including our tour dates which are live now.
2: Uh and the tour is going to some pretty interesting places around the world. What what where are the next stops for you guys?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we think they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh we were just on our Midwest part. We were in Columbus, Nashville, Chicago and now we're going to be in Philly, DC and then we will go across to Australia for Melbourne and Sydney and then we will end up in LA and Miami and Miami. We did, you know, Texas, San Fran, New York, various cities in the US. We also did London, which was incredible, but, you know, in these cases too, it's another instance of us not really knowing how we people would react or take it and just kind of doing. And it's been such a great learning experience and, and been so lovely to be on tour with our community.
2: But you sold out in London too. So as much as you had questions in your mind about how would go, it must have gone good because you did a number of shows and they sold out, right? Yeah. Yes. London,
1: yeah. was,
0: London was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so much more... It was just, it was incredible. We had the people there are awesome. A lot of them were transplants from the US or from mm. different countries that actually came in. So it was really great to see people, and you know, the show, the shows that were so good.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it's such a credit to you in in a crowded, complicated, overcommunicated world to create a brand so strong with so much loyalty from your listeners and your fans. It's an absolute credit to both of you of what you've done. I'm sure you've got incredible plans ahead for not only yourselves, but also for the brand. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you guys for taking time out of your schedule to be with us on Inspiring Lives. It's been a real joy.
0: Thank you to the Inspiring Lives team for having us and thank you to Athletic Greens for hooking us up. Athletic Greens is definitely one of my favorites. It is in my arsenal whenever we travel all of the time. So athleticgreens.com slash almost 30 and you get 20 free Athletic Greens travel packs with your first purchase. I use the travel packs Mm -hmm. all
1: the time. Dude. Major. You can look at the website and see a stupid picture of us. (laughs) I would literally go door to door and just try to sell Athletic Greens to people because it is- It's it's good. It tastes so good. So So thank you again. And we're excited to continue our tour. So we will see you on tour in Miami and LA and your support means the world. So just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This year has been one of the most incredible growth filled years of our lives and you are a part of it. So can't wait for the new year. We will have some kind of new year centric episodes coming your way soon. So stay tuned for those. But if you have any ideas for shows, guests, topics to discuss, you know where to find us on Instagram at almost30podcast, DM us or join the secret Facebook group. We have about 15,000 women in there chatting every day, supporting one another, laughing. It's
0: the best. Yeah. We love you very much. Thank you for writing reviews on iTunes. It means the world. It really just helps us to stay on the charts and stay relevant and get on amazing guests to support you. So love when you do that. See you on the next one. Love you. Bye.